our hearts to hear what he has to say to us. Uh, in fact, tell somebody close to you, God's about to speak to you today. Tell them, God's about to speak to you today. He really is. Father, we thank you today for the word of God. We thank you that it that has the power, Lord God, to transform our lives, has the power to heal us and deliver us and guide us and, 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 and just uh, transform our lives. Lord, we listen and hear to what you're having to say to us in Jesus' name. And everybody said one more amen. Turn in your Bible to two passages, the book of Galatians, Galatians chapter 2 to be specific, and then turn to Philippians, Galatians 2 and Philippians. This morning, uh, we're going to continue with a series we began last week called Living Like Jesus. How many of you know Jesus wants us and desires us to live like him, amen? He wants his life to be made manifest through us. We are, in, in, in reality, his hands extended to a world that so desperately needs Christ. And that's what you and I need to understand. We're not here just to take up space. We're here as representatives of the person of Jesus Christ. That's why they call us Christians. All the Christians smile this morning and go, Amen, (laughs) Hallelujah. And so we're learning to live like Jesus. This series will take us all the way up to Resurrection Day in April, what is it, 20-something, 23rd, somewhere in there, 21st. Uh, And man, we're going to have a great Easter Sunday. Uh, In fact, our team has been prepping and praying and preparing uh, even for that day, even now. So so follow along with us these next few weeks, and let's learn more about what it means to live like Jesus. Last Sunday, we talked about dying to live, but let me just give you four things again that I'm I'm asking all of us to just, it's a church-wide call of commitment. I'm just, to get us to living like Jesus, Here's what I'm asking. Read. Everyone say, read the red. Read through the Gospels in the next 10 weeks. Just take your time. I am taking my time. I began reading through Matthew, and it's just coming alive. Uh, this morning, I saw things that I don't think I've ever seen before. Uh, and so read through the red. Read the Gospels. And number two, pray. Mark one thirty-five says this. Jesus went out and departed to a solitary place, and there he prayed. Uh, if you're going to live like Jesus, you got to fellowship with him. you got to be around him, his person, his nature, his his character, his his hand has to be upon us. That's what prayer is all about. Everybody say, read the red. Everyone say, pray. And then number three is come. That means to be involved like you are this morning. Hebrews 10 says, uh, forsake not the assembling together as the matter of some is. It's important for us to come together. Look around and tell somebody we're better together. We really are. And then number four of that church-wide call to me, of commitment is care. That Hebrews 10 passage always also says, and let us consider one another, exhorting one another while it is called today. In other words, we have something to offer. Uh, as I was reading through the Gospels and reading through Matthew, I saw some interesting things. Right in the beginning of Matthew, it says in, in Matthew oh, chapter 4, I think, no, chapter, mm, cha- might be chapter 4, uh, verse 23, uh, it says, Jesus went about all the region 
healing people, touching people, uh, delivering people. And he was just, he was touching them. How many of you know if, if you're going to live like Jesus, that's what you and I have to be involved with, caring for people. And then you get over to Matthew 10. You know what he did? He commissioned his disciples to do the same exact thing. And you know what? I have a feeling there. The disciples were, were not walking in perfection at that moment. But they had Jesus living on the inside of them. And they had the power of Jesus living. And they re- they were his hands extended. That's what you and I need to be. Amen. Our keynote verse for this series is Galatians 2.20. I shared from this last Sunday. Paul said this, I am crucified. In fact, let's read it together. Would you read it with me out loud? Here we go. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Last Sunday, we talked about dying to live. If you're going to live like Jesus, you got to die like Jesus. And we looked at Romans chapter 6. If that confuses you a little bit, you can get online and watch last Sunday's message. But I want to tell you, if you're going to live the crucified life, uh, live the life that Jesus lived, you got to live a crucified life. Read Romans 6. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I what? Live. That's what Paul was saying. The life I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God. I've been crucified with Christ. That's what happened on Calvary's cross, and you and I need to embrace that today. Now, this morning, as you turn to Philippians, especially Philippians two, we're gonna we're gonna look all over this book, this letter to the church in Philippi, which I think was his first church that Paul birthed uh, in in that region. Uh, we're gonna look at thinking like Jesus. How many of you know our thought life is a powerful force, either for good or for evil? As the Bible says, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. Our thoughts formulate who we are. Now, somebody got worried right there. You went, OMG, because my thoughts hadn't been the best. How many of you know our thoughts formulate who we are? And we've got to learn and live in a way that our thought life is under the governance and the guidance of the Word of God, the ways of God, the will of God, and the Spirit of God in our life. And we, as God's kids, must learn to think like Jesus. How many of you, I'm going to raise my hand even before I ask you, how many of you could use some restoration and, and, and transformation of your thought life? Amen. All of us on some level. In fact, this morning on the way to church, Beverly and I, we just had to focus our thoughts on the right things and the good things. And the God. we just took some time to just think like Jesus. With that in mind, turn to Philippians chapter 2. I want to read the first five verses to you. There's a lot here, but uh, I, I just want to begin in verse 1. Therefore, if there is any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any any affection and mercy, fulfill my joy by being like-minded. Everyone say like-minded. Being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind, let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of, of what? Mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look not only at his own interests, but also the interests of others. Now catch verse 5 right here. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Paul said, you got to have the mind of Christ. 
How many of you want more of what God thinks running through your thoughts? Amen. What did God say? I think it's in uh, uh, Proverbs. Uh, uh, no, it's in Isaiah 55. I think it, this is it. I'm just drawing from memory. He said, our thoughts are not his thoughts. Neither his ways are our ways. That's why we need a transformation uh, uh, and a healing, if you will, of the way we think about life and how we process our thoughts. That's why Paul came to the church in Philip. He said, man, you need to get your thoughts straightened out. You need to have the mind of Christ. I love what the New Living Translation says in this passage. It says, you must have the same attitude as Jesus had. Help me out uh, back there. And you must have the same attitude as Jesus had. Amen. How many of you know our thought life produces attitudes within us? You know anybody with a good attitude about life? You know anybody with a good demeanor that just always have a smile on their face? It developed. It's something coming from the inside. And Paul said, you've got to think like Jesus thought. You must have the same attitude that Jesus has if you're going to live for him and walk for him and, and be like him. So with that in mind, I'm going to give you three attitudes that I see in Philippians about Jesus and about Paul the Apostle and that should be about us. And then in a moment, I'm going to give you some bullet point thoughts about how we can model the thought life or the, 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 the right way of thinking that Paul had, that certainly Jesus had. So here we go. Are you with me? So Amen. The first one I see today, of course, in this passage of Scripture, and especially as we look on down, we must think the way Jesus thought, and that is, and have his attitude within us, and that is the attitude of servitude. Because it goes on to say, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a what? Somebody say a bondservant. He took the form of a bondservant. He came from heaven, was born of a virgin, and lived a life of servitude. In fact, as you study the scripture, uh, you'll say, you'll see that he not only modeled servitude, but he encouraged uh, us to do the same. Uh, he said, if you want to be great in the kingdom of God, learn to be the what? Servant of all. And Jesus thought that way. He came, he said, that it, in fact, it just is very clear. He, in his thought process, I'm not even going to consider myself to be equal with God. I'm becoming a servant of all. I'm a bond servant here today. And he goes on to say uh, that he came in the likeness of men and he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death. And it goes on to say, fortunately, and it's the same way with all of us. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and given him a name. Listen, if we will serve him, if we will develop the attitude of servitude and we begin to think this way, it'll transform our lives, <clears throat> pardon me, make us more like him and he will begin to exalt us and bless us. Are you with me? Say amen. Now, from this passage, let me give you quickly uh, some characteristics of a true servant that we see working in Jesus. Number one, humility or being humble. Look what it says. He made himself of no reputation, took the uh, form of a bond servant, verse 8, and being found in the appearance of man, he humbled himself. How many of you know humility is a choice? 
It's not our nature to be humble. It's our nature to be arrogant because we have sin living on the inside of us. We have to choose to humble ourselves. And it says this very clearly, Jesus humbled himself. Listen, you want to do that. You don't want to ask, don't ask God to humble you. He knows how. Are you with me? Say amen. Uh, humble yourself. It's a characteristic of true servitude, of being a humble person. Number two in that same verse, being obedient to the call of God upon our life. Humility and obedience are coupled together. Being found in the appearance as a man, verse 8, he humbled himself and became obedient. So listen, the servitude uh, is only found from within, and it's the humility of heart that we, we, we carry and our desire to be obedient. How many of you would fire an employee if they were not obedient? How many of you parents would discipline your child if they were not obedient? And so that's got to be developed on the inside of us. A choice, an attitude that says, you know what, I'm here to serve. I'm not here to be served. In fact, that again, that's what Jesus said. He didn't come to be served, but to serve and give his life a ransom for many. Listen, if we're going to think like Jesus, we've got to have the attitude of servitude. It's it it, it it develops humility and obedience. And number three, the attitude of servitude is found in how we care for other people. If you go to chapter 2, verse 20, it says this, for I have, he's talking about Timothy. He, he begins to lift Timothy and another guy, Epaphroditus, as role models and examples on how you think and how you live and how you model the character of Christ. He says this, for I have no one like-minded who will sincerely care for your state, for all seek their own and not the things which are of Christ Jesus. But you know his proven character, speaking of Timothy, that as a son with his father, he served with me. Everybody say amen. He served with me in the gospel. May it be said when we get to heaven that, that the, 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 not only the roll call, but they began to read out the, the, the character and, the, and the, the things we did right on planet earth and that it be, hey, he served his master. He served the kingdom of God. It's an attitude. And it brings forth caring to others. That's what Paul was saying about Timothy. He said, man, he cared for me. He cared for others. He, he was concerned about other people, just like Philippians 2 said. Don't just think about yourself. Think about others. And that's the fourth characteristic of someone who has the attitude of servitude. It's a selfless mindset. Verse 3 of chapter 2, let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit. Wait a minute. Come on, some things, let some things be done. No, let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. See, servitude is an attitude of selflessness. It's not about you. It's not about me. It's about him. It's about those we serve. And so if you're going to think like Jesus, how many of you want to think like Jesus? Let's just get right down to it. we got to humble ourselves, begin to obey his word, care for other people more than we care for ourselves, and realize it's not about me. I'm going to give myself as an offering of selflessness to the things of God, to the people of God, to the family of God, to my family. I'm going to begin to think as Jesus thought, and that is, I came to serve. 
Amen. How many of you know that's a challenge for all of us? Amen. And for us that are old enough to remember, John F. Kennedy said this, whether it's not a political statement, it's the truth. He said, ask not what your country can do for you, but what you can do for your country. My, how times have changed. <laughs> Everybody wants to know what the country can do for me. Who can pay for this? Who can pay for that? Oh, all of a sudden, I'm getting political. But let me, let me just say, God has called us the attitude, the way we ought to think. I'm here to serve. It's an attitude of servitude. Number two that I see modeled not only in Paul, but in, in Timothy and Epaphroditus and should be modeled in us, certainly was modeled in Jesus. It's an attitude of fortitude. What does fortitude mean? It means courage in the midst of pain or adversity. Listen, if you're going to live like Jesus, you got to suffer like Jesus. you got to be willing to have an attitude of fortitude. What does it say about him in chapter 2, verse 8? He was obedient even to the point of death, even the death on the cross. In other words, he, he had courage in the midst of his adversity. And you know, even though he prayed, Lord, if it's possible, take this cup away from me. He said, nevertheless, somebody say nevertheless. Listen, there's sometimes in our life that, that anybody ever heard of uh, intestinal fortitude? What, what are they saying? It's something from within that just steps up to the plate and says, you know what? Even though I don't feel like it, even though it doesn't make any sense, even though I'd like to run, even though I'd like to check out, even though I'd like to throw in the towel, I'm not going to throw in the towel. I'm not going to check out. I'm going to, I'm going to stand up in the face of this adversity and I'm going to tap into the inner strength that God has for me and I'm going to have courage to face the, the circumstances of life. Paul did that very thing. He modeled that attitude of fortitude. If you look at Philippians, it's all through here, but look what he says in verse 12. But I want you to know, brethren, that the things which happened to me have actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel. You know what he was referencing right there? Trouble, heartache, prison, issues, resistance, pain, agony. And he addressed that. In fact, I think when he wrote Philippians, he was probably, he, he, yes, he was. He talked about his chains. He was in prison when he wrote this. He said, all this is turning out uh, for the furtherance of the gospel. What was he exhibiting? intestinal fortitude in the face of adversity. That's the attitude of Christ. And listen, if we're going to get from point A to point B on any level, it's going to take, somebody say, courage. Not just the courage of the wizard of Oz, but the courage of Christ, the inner strength, the, the strength that God gives. In fact, ooh, I'm, I'm thinking scriptures that I'd like to reach out there and quote, but they're not quite coming. Uh, but uh, one of them in Colossians, the New Living Translation says, God gives us uh, a, a inner strength uh, to just keep on keeping on. And so uh, the, the, the way we ought to be thinking in life is with that attitude of servitude and with an attitude of fortitude that, hey, I'm not going to quit. I'm not going to give up. I'm going to, I'm going to press through. Amen. Look what he says about even us in verse 29. You say us. Well, 
he was talking to the Philippians, but how many of you know this was written? This was this is the book not only to the church in Philippi, but the church at Church on the Rock North, Amen. And for all the believers, look what he says: For to you at his it has been granted on behalf of Christ. Stop right there and look up. Don't read any further, man. That sounds exciting to me. Oh man, things are for for to you at has been granted. It's like a gift on behalf of Christ. Christ is going to grant something to you, not only to believe in Him but to also suffer for his sake. Everybody say amen. Oh, y'all are not with me this morning. What's he saying about us to us? If you're going to have the attitude of Christ, you've got to have the attitude of fortitude. Jesus, oh, hey, he, if, he, if he walked through it, you've got him living on the inside of you, and you can walk through it as well. It's the attitude of servitude, the attitude of fortitude. Look what he says about Epaphroditus. Chapter 2, verse 25, I considered it necessary to send Epaphroditus, my brother, fellow worker and fellow soldier, but your messenger and the one who ministered to my need. Since he was longing for you all, he was distressed because you had heard that he was sick. Now, just reach on down and uh, look in verse 30. Because for the work of Christ he came close to death, not regarding his life, to supply what was lacking in your service toward me. I'm telling you, this guy had some intestinal fortitude. Even then when he was sick, even unto death, he did everything he could to supply what was lacking in that church for the sake of Paul. I'm telling you, what a guy. Everybody say, what a guy. It's the attitude of servitude that we've got to have if we're going to think like Jesus. It's the attitude of fortitude we're going to have to have. Uh, and just, hey, I'm in, I'm in this for the long haul. I'm going to be doing a, a, a men's retreat in Colorado. And, and, uh, and I'm going to be talking about uh, uh, in it for the long haul. Going, hey, enduring the process. Life is a process. And we've got to be enduring and have an attitude of fortitude in order to arrive at the purpose of God. Just as Jesus did, just as Paul did, just as we should, just as Epaphroditus did, and great heroes of the faith, even in our era. You know, you're going to get to meet Larry Myers. I'm telling you, Larry Myers is a modern-day apostle and, and church planter. Uh, he's, he's over 80, like 82 now. And he said, the Lord said, I'm going to give you, uh, when he turned 80, he said, I'm going to give you 10 more years. And so he told me on the phone the other day, I got eight more He's having back issues, and I prayed for him. He said, I, I know God's got to heal me. i got eight more years in this thing at least. Uh, and so I'm telling you, what a man of intestinal fortitude. What a man of servitude. What a man who, who is modeling, if you will, the character and the lifestyle of Jesus. Amen. And then number three, it's an attitude of, of not only fortitude but gratitude. Jesus lived a gracious life. In fact... You remember what he would say when he would when he would pray for the food? What what did he say? He would say and other things. And and when he had given thanks. Listen, there's a lot happens when when we have given thanks. Until we get that attitude in our life, there's a lot that doesn't happen. But when we get, when we begin to model the, the attitude of gratitude, Paul did that. In fact, he began his letter when he wrote it about them. He said, you know what? Every time I think of you, 
Man, when I bring, I thank God every time I think about you. I don't know if, if you've got anybody like that. I've got some people like that in my life. Every time I think of them, I go, thank you, Jesus, for those people in my life. Thank you, Jesus, for that. He had an attitude of gratitude. In fact, Paul said this in Romans 1, verse 8. He said, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all. There's a lot there. I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all. You know what I think he's saying there? He said, because of what Jesus has done for me and how I followed in his footsteps and as I've watched and learned from not his life because he, 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 he learned from the, the, the other disciples, uh, because he was not walking with Christ when Jesus was on the earth, but, it, but he began to learn about Jesus and he began to, uh, he gave his life to Jesus and he, he realized that everything that he has comes through Jesus and he said, the reason I'm able to be, a, be thankful Thankful today is because of what Jesus has done for me. I'm able to be thankful for you. Amen. It's an attitude of gratitude. Thinking like Jesus. Philippians 2, 5, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. It, uh, uh, New Living Translation, you must have the same attitude as Jesus had. Uh, and, and it's the attitude of servitude, fortitude, and gratitude. We could stop right there and go home, and you'd have plenty to work on. How about you and me? I would have plenty to work on. Listen, becoming a servant is a process. Uh, uh, and, and, and modeling that intestinal fortitude of the Spirit of God in your life, courage in the face of adversity to just say, hey, I'm embracing the conflict. I'm embracing the suffering because it has a way as a tribulation and a trial to produce the purposes of God in my life. I'm not going to quit. I'm not going to give up. I'm standing strong in the face of adversity. And I'm going to be grateful in the process. Amen? And thankful. And everything, the Bible says, give thanks. Paul said this to the Ephesian church, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Amen? With that in mind, everybody take a deep breath. Whew. With that in mind, I'm going to give you some bullet points from Philippians. Ways and means for us to think. More specifically, focused thinking. Anybody here like me have a struggle with some level of scattered thinking? Or you, I'll maybe give it a clinical term, ADD. I've met some people, I thought I was ADD till I met some people. I've met some people in life where, man, you start talking to them and you realize they are already gone. You're trying to get a point across and they're already gone. Or while you're trying to get a point across, their, their, their thought, I mean, there's a shooting like firecrackers off. Thoughts, boom, boom, boom. And in the middle of your thought you're trying to get across, all of a sudden their thoughts begin to explode and they change the subject on you because they, they, they're just thoughts. And, and, and you and me, none of us are like that. I know there's nobody here like that. But let's pray for those other people. 
so desperately need. And so, uh, so I want to give you some kind of thoughts to help you. Well, so how do I put this in play? Well, uh, I'm going to give you eight. Are you with me? Are you ready? Let's see if we got, oh, we got 30 minutes. We can do this. I'm going to slow down. Everybody say slow down, pastor. Whew, I'm going to slow down. Paul was a great model to follow. I'm telling you, he realized, uh, how many of you know when Paul was, was, uh, met Christ on the road? When a light, lightning bolt, in a sense, knocked him off his horse and said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? He said, who are you, Lord? I am Jesus whom you're persecuting. How many of you know his, his thoughts began to change? He began to experience the life of Christ. And he yielded his life. And as we talked about last week, he said, I die daily. He began to die to himself and live to Christ. And God restored. How many of you know it would be hard to walk in the restoration of God after you've persecuted and been in hearty approval of, of the Christian, uh, uh, the new believer's death to then be able to come forth with a healthy, wholesome thought process to know that you had done that in the past. God began to wash his brains and began to transform his life and transform the way he thought. He began to model his life and to not only live like Jesus, but began to think like Jesus. If you're going to live like Jesus, you got to think like Jesus. And Paul was a great model to follow. Why? Because he followed in the footsteps of Jesus. So here we go. The first one that I want to throw out for you. We've got to learn to think evangelistically. Everyone say evangelistically. Look in chapter 1, verse 27. These are quick. Only let your conduct be worthy of the what? Gospel of Jesus Christ. So that whether I come and see or am absent, I may hear of your affairs, that you stand fast in one spirit with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. Listen, we need to transform this way of thinking because understand something, church, God, uh, uh, Bible study, everything that, that we experience is not about us. It's about others who have yet to know him. And the reason we study the Bible, the reason we pray, the reason we live like Jesus, as it talks about in verse 27, is not, it's not because uh, that's just the good Christian thing to do. It's because Jesus wants to be manifest to a world that is lost and without Christ through us. Somebody say amen. What did he say in, in, in Matthew? He says, you're the light of the world. You're the salt of the earth. And if we don't, if, hey, if I stop right here, if I stop, listen, I could give you an eight-week series on these eight points. And this one, my friend, is the top of the list. Why do we serve him? Why do we think like him? Why do we have an attitude of grace? And all these things, it's because the world needs Jesus. And we've got to learn to think evangelistically about those that are without Christ. He said, you need to strive together for the faith of the good news of Jesus Christ. People are lost. People are on their way to a devil's hell. And he's trying to endeavoring to raise up a people called the church who care about others enough and they don't think it's all about them. And they serve him and they serve people and they care for people because they need Jesus Christ. Your neighbors need Jesus. My neighbors need Jesus. Our work associates need Jesus. Our family members need Jesus. And we are the, uh, uh, God's hands extended 
extended into a world without Christ. Every day we wake up, we ought to ask ourselves, Jesus, what do you want from me today? Who do you want me to share with today? How do you want my light to shine? I have a friend in San Antonio. His name is Wayne Beatles. He's 90-something years old. He can barely get around. His mind is still sharp as a tack. And every day he wakes up. You think he would? Uh, you, he could get a pass card every day. I know this personally because he shared it with me. People, uh, I, I read his story in a book this week. Uh, and, and he wakes up every day, he and his wife, and they pray, Lord, we're your servants today. We're your ambassadors. You lead us. Help us share with whoever we need to share with today to, to shine the light of Jesus in a world that is lost and without Christ. Whoo! What a way to think. So we've got to think evangelistically. Everyone say evangelistically. Number two, if we're going to think like Jesus and follow in the footsteps of Jesus as well as Paul the apostle, we've got to think not only evangelistically, but we've got to do this. We've got to think corporately. We, it's not just me, myself, and I. It's about us together. We're better together. Somebody say we're better together. Look what he says here in this same verse. Let your conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ so that whether I come or see or am absent, I may hear of your affairs that you stand fast in one spirit with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. See, we've got to think about this from the standpoint that God has brought us into a family and we've got to learn to think that way. It's not about you. It's not about me. It's about us and the call of God upon our lives as a church and what can we we do to advance the gospel. We talked about that last night in our leadership gathering as we were looking at the future. What are some ways and means that we can shine our light? One thing we talked about and that we're going to put together is the Wednesday following Easter Sunday. We're going to really use Easter as an evangelistic opportunity for you to bring your family and friends and we're going to give you tools and ways and means to do that. But the following Wednesday, we're going to have a follow-up. We don't know what we're going to call it yet, but we're going to baptize people. We're going to worship God. We're going to introduce people into the family, get them plugged into the body of Christ. And so, man, why are we doing that? There are other things we're planning because God wants us as a corporate body to reach out uh, as the family of faith and, and invite people not just to come to church, but to be born again. Are you with me? Say amen. We've got to think corporately. You see, we're better together. You see, too, many hands make a light load. Amen? And together we can do great things. What did Mother, Mother Teresa say? I can do this. You can do that, basically. But together, she said, we can do great things. How are we going to do some great things in 2019? I believe we're going to see some great things happen. And to look around and tell somebody, I believe together we'll see some great things happen. We're better together. We can do this together. Amen. We've got to think corporately. Number three, we've got to learn to think selflessly. That's hard for us. Uh, we talked about the attitude of servitude, but we've got to think selfless thoughts. Chapter 2, verse 3 and 4. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, there you go, let others esteem, let, let each of you esteem others better than yourself. Let each of you look not out only on your own interests, but also for the interests of others. And so, like Brother Beetle said, Lord, we're here to serve others. We've got to think selflessly. Amen. 
Paul gave role models of Timothy and Epaphroditus there in in chapter 2, verse 19 through 30. You read it later. He was talking about guys who who laid it all down. Not just Paul, but laid it down. Timothy, he laid it down. For I have no one like-minded who is sincerely care for your state other than Timothy. He was, he was saying, these guys, they don't think about themselves. Epaphroditus, he was sickened to death and even on his deathbed, he was, he was thinking about you and how he could help you for goodness sake. Amen. Wow. Think selflessly. Number four. Now this is what I like. Follow with me. We got to learn to think confidently. Everyone say confidently. Now, Paul the Apostle said this in Philippians chapter 3. Uh, uh, Let's just jump in. Verse 3. For we are the circumcision who worship God in the Spirit, rejoice in Christ Jesus, and have no confidence in the flesh. Then he talks about all his accolades and all the things that he had stacked up in the natural realm and and how he was a religious zealot and all those things. He said, I have no confidence in them. In fact, he said, I count them all as rubbish, as dung, King James says. Does anybody need any translation on what that means? All those things that that would make me have confidence in my natural person, I've just given up on all those. I'm suffering loss of them. They are of no value to me. No confidence in the flesh. But he does show some confidence in the way he thinks. Firstly, confidence in the finished work of Christ Jesus. Look what he says in chapter 3, verse 1 through 4. He just keeps going on. Verse 4, though I might have confidence in the flesh, if anyone else thinks he might have confidence in the flesh, I more so, because I've circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin. He goes on to say, but verse 7, but the things which were gained to me, these things I have counted loss, yet indeed I count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish that I might gain him and be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death, if by any means I might attain to the resurrection of the dead. You want to give You want me to give you a little interpretation here, a little paraphrase? He said this, I don't have any confidence in my 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 myself and what I've done and what I've stacked up, my education, my financial security, whatever it is. I don't have any confidence in that. In fact, I I count it as loss. What I do have confidence in and what Christ has done for me on Calvary's cross. He died for me on the cross. He rose again the third day. That's what I have confidence in today. That's the gospel. We ought to have great confidence in the price Jesus paid and have, and and think that way. How many of you knew, how many of you know you can trust the cross? Great confidence in the finished work. But Paul taught us too. And this is once you have confidence in the finished work, then you can have confidence in the continued work. How many of you know God's still working on us? I said, how many of you know God's still working on us? Look what he says in verse uh, chapter 1, verse 6. He says this, being confident of this very thing, 
That he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Hey, I, let me just tell you something. God's working on you. You gotta let him work. You gotta have confidence that he can get you where he needs to get you. That he can work within you. And it is a process. Everybody say it's a process. We gotta have confidence. In the cross, the finished work. But we've got to have confidence. We've got to think confidently. I'm not the same person I was last week. I'm going to be a better person next week because of what Christ is working within me. I'm yielding my life. I'm thinking evangelistically. I'm thinking corporately. I'm thinking selflessly. I'm thinking confidently. I have no confidence in myself, but I do have confidence in the finished work of Christ, what he's done on Calvary's cross. I lean into that. And Paul said in Romans, I'm not ashamed of it either, man. I am confident. Confident, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Man, I have great confidence in the cross. In fact, he said this in a more profound way. The just shall live by faith. Faith in what? Faith in the finished work of the cross. And then confidence not only in the finished work, but confidence in the continued work. Chapter 3, verse 15 says this, Therefore, let us as many as have uh, uh, this attitude or have this mind, if anything you think otherwise, God will reveal it to you. He's talking about the, the, the attitude where Paul said, I'm pressing on. I'm moving forward. There's progress happening in my life. And he says we all need to think that way and have confidence in our future. Everybody say confidence in your future. How do we have confidence in the future? Because of the finished work and the continued work of Christ in our life. Amen. We've got to think evangelistically. We've got to think corporately. We've got to think selflessly. We've got to think confidently and quickly. We've got to learn to think eternally. It's not about this life. It's about the forever life. And in fact, Paul said it this way in Philippians 3, verse 12, for our citizenship is in Beaumont. Our citizenship is in America. Our citizenship is... No, our citizenship is where? In heaven. That's where we're going to spend eternity. How many of you know the greatest amount of time you'll spend anywhere is not on planet Earth? The least amount of time you'll ever spend anywhere is planet Earth. This is all temporary. Turn around and tell somebody, say, tell them this, planet Earth is temporary. It's all temporary. It is. I'm telling you. And some of us, as we're getting older, we realize it's more temporary than ever. It's temporary, but our citizenship is heaven. We've got to think. Somebody said, you're so heavenly minded, you're no earthly good. I think a better understanding, we need to become heavenly minded so we can be more earthly good. Because there's everybody is going to face eternity. Are you with me? Say amen. We've got to think eternally. Number six, as God's people, uh, to think like Jesus, we've got to learn to think prayerfully. Paul said this in Philippians 4, 6 and 7. He said, be anxious for nothing. That means don't worry about anything. But in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, there's that attitude, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and what? Minds through Christ Jesus. Let me tell you something. Some of my best thoughts have come when I'm at the place of prayer. When I'm praying, 
I'm thinking, I'm pondering, I'm reading, and I'm, man, I'm just telling you. I, I, let me just give you an example. I was reading through the Beatitudes uh, this week, and, and not the Beatitudes, the Sermon on the Mount, which the Beatitudes are the beginning. I was reading through the Sermon on the Mount, and you know what I just saw more than ever before is that God, through Jesus Christ, was teaching these new disciples that God is not just God, He's their Father. You read that later. Take a little highlighter, a little mark, and you read through the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, and 7. And every time you see Father, you just think about that. He's God. And I, and I, I text a friend of mine who's doing a series about the fatherhood of God. And I, I said, let me show you something here that I just saw. I, I don't know why I didn't see it, man. He said, man, he's your father. That, how'd that happen? While well, I was praying and reading and just, man, I'm telling you, we got to learn to think prayerfully. Don't think, under the hey, let me let me ask you this: When you're in a state of worry and you start thinking, what's going to happen? Train wreck, landmines. Man, if you start following through with some of the thoughts you think uh, that are, don't worry about anything, but pray about everything with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God. Oh, we need that. The peace of God, which surpasses all of our natural understanding, will guard our hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. We've got to learn to think prayerfully. If you've got an issue, anybody ever face issues? you got issues. Oh, my gosh. OMG. What am I going to do here? Uh, work issues, family issues, uh, financial issues, problems, troubles, lions and tigers and bears, oh my. You bring them to the place of prayer and you bring them to God with an attitude of gratitude and thanksgiving and you make your requests known to God and His peace comes, His word comes, His will comes, and His thoughts are made manifest to you. Somebody mm, say amen. amen. Man, you can take that one to the bank. Somebody needs to work on that one here today. Think prayerfully. And then, of course, number seven, think righteously. Philippians 4, 7 says this, and we've quoted it. Finally, brethren. And here he's, he's closing out. This whole thing is really about how we think. Here's a conclusion. Kind of he's winding down. Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, Whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of a good report, if there is any virtue, if there is anything praiseworthy, think slash meditate on these things. Amen. Think righteously. And then number eight, man, everybody just smile because you're going to love this one. Think joyfully. Everybody, come on, smile. Make sure everybody's smiling. Look around. If somebody's not smiling, just pop them on the forehead and go, in the name of Jesus. <laughs> Paul the apostle, now catch this, he's in prison because of doing good things. Because of the name of Christ and the gospel of God. He's in prison. And when you read through this, man, the guy's a happy camper. He said, it just everywhere, everywhere, it's just littered with joy. Uh, verse 126, that your rejoicing for me may be more abundant in Jesus Christ by my coming to you again. 
He's talking about there added chapter 2, verse 2. Fulfill my joy by being like-minded. Chapter 4, verse 1. Therefore, my beloved, my longed-for brethren, my joy and my crown. So stand fast in the Lord. And then he just says, oh, and by the way, verse 4, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Think joyfully. Even in the face of great adversity. In fact, you know what he said in Acts 26, verse 2, to King Agrippa? He said, now catch this, follow me. I think myself happy. Where does joy come from? Well, it's an anointment. No, it's, it begins with understanding who God is and began to think. Paul said, Hey, King Agrippa, I, I'm just going to think here. I'm just thinking myself, and the more I think the, the right thoughts, I'm just getting happy. You know, sadly, most people think themselves sad. They think themselves depressed. They think themselves worried. They think themselves fearful. They think themselves insecure. They think themselves unholy. Paul said, I think myself happy. What's that little movie? Happy feet. Let me just let me just close. There's all I, I just this thought. Some of us need to find ourselves in a place, as I said, a place of prayer. Get to a solitary place. Start praying and think good thoughts, and think yourself happy. The power, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. If we're going to live like Jesus, we've got to think like Jesus. You know what it says about Jesus in Hebrews 12? It says this, who for the joy set before him endured the cross and despised the shame. He was thinking right. Right thinking. Paul said this in Romans. I mentioned it earlier. This is going to be our point of application today. I believe God wants us to pray. Romans 12, 1 and 2. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies living sacrifice, we talked about this last week, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service, and do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed. Oh, that's a whole new level. Be transformed. It's the Greek where we get the word metamorphosis. What's metamorphosis? It's where the little ooey-gooey caterpillar builds his cocoon and comes out on the other side as a beautiful butterfly. It's metamorphosis. There's a metamorphosis that takes place. You see, you can't change things, but God can transform things. We can change a few little things. 
But when it comes to our thinking, we need God to help us. He said, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God, way of God. So today, God has the power to transform our lives, change the way we think. We got to yield our mind and our thoughts to Him and begin to, begin to consciously rein in those thoughts of the mind. You ever see the picture of Medusa? That's where our thought life is a lot. Paul said, gird up the loins of your mind. What's he saying? Take control of that uncontrolling nature. Yield your mind to the thoughts of God. He'll transform the way we think. Amen. Father, today we thank you for your supernatural anointing in this room right now. And Lord, you're going to help us. And as we're standing, as we're, as we're just sitting in the presence of God here, I had a thought in my heart about 2 Corinthians 10. It says that we bring every thought captive. We pull down strongholds. That's a reference to our thought life. Somebody here has a stronghold in your life of wrong thinking. Whatever it is, whether it's fear, worry, anxiety, anger, depression. Jesus has the power to pull that stronghold down. Why? Because the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they're mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. And in these last moments, with every head bowed and every eye closed, if you're honest with me today and honest with the Spirit of God, that's a good place to start. If you're here today and you can say, Pastor, there's some strongholds. There's a stronghold that I struggle with in the way I think that I want to submit to the weapon of God to pull it down. If that's you, wherever you are, just lift your hand and say, pray for me, Pastor. Amen. Anybody else? Amen. Anybody else? Just slip it up. There's a stronghold. There's a, there's a wrong thinking process that is limiting me and hindering me. Lift it up. Lord Jesus, let's stand together right now in the presence of God. Lord Jesus, as we stand together, we thank you that you have the power, Lord God, to transform our lives. I want everyone in this room just to embrace the transforming power of God. Even today, the Word of God has the power to transform the way you think and, and the way we think, the way I think. So, Lord, today, we yield ourselves to the Word of God. We yield ourselves to the supernatural power of God to transform the way we think, Lord God, that we will begin to think the way you want us to think and as a result be able to act and be and live like you want us to live, living like Jesus. So today, Lord God, we submit our thought life to you. And Lord, we pray you would help us as Paul learned how to think rightly and how to uh, allow you to pull down those strongholds in his life, Lord. And he began to think the right thoughts and as a result, do the right thing. Lord, we thank you for it today. We give you our mind, our thoughts. Wash us, transform us. 
by the power of your word, by the washing of water, by the word of God. Before we go, as we are about to leave, if you're here today and you say, Pastor, I'm lost. I need Christ in my heart. Anyone here, just lift your hand and say, pray for me. I know I, I need to be born again. Anyone? If you're here today and you say, Pastor, I believe God is adding me and our family to Church on the Rock North, and I want to just make it official and plug in, get involved, that's you. Just lift your hand wherever you are. Say, that's me. I feel like this is my family and this is my home. Anyone? Amen. Father, thank you for the Word of God. Help us this week to read the red, to pray to be faithful to church, and to care about others and be your hands extended and to think the way you would want us to think in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. amen. Let's give the Word of God and the Spirit of God a, a thank you offering. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Woo. Let's go think right. Let's think evangelistically this week. Let's, let's, let's adjust the way we think. God bless you. Have a great